Welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> First off, I want to start off just by super congratulating you. I noticed today when we were at work that you have like turned your whole, uh, like not only your physical appearance, but your mental, uh, like mental health, everything you've like done like a 180. Like you've lost a lot of weight. You've got way healthier. You seem to be in a way better mental place lately than in the past. I think both me and you have yeah. done that. But you like I today I was just like, wow, Denise is actually like on a good track and looking really good. So congratulations. Thank you. What made you want to do that? Um, I don't I just um, didn't feel satisfied with the way things are going. So I decided I'd change. What did you do to change? What uh, what big things did you do? Uh, well, I had some therapy, and uh, I just kind of um, have been working on not letting things bother me so much and trying not to things take things personally. Yeah. And because I have a big problem with that, so I've been working on being more chill. Being more chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think you've. I definitely think you've done better at that. I myself have had to, as well, uh, confront. Uh, I guess you'd say not not demons, but my own problems, because I used to have this solace at the end of the week. I could go home and crack a beer or something and be like, oh, thank God I've made it through the work week. <laughs> but I can no longer rely on that. So I've actually recently uh, started to, uh, with my doctor and everything, working with uh, medications and stuff to minimize, it didn't take it away, but minimize my anxieties that I'll get from not only the workplace, but general life. So it's really cool to see you not only standing up for your health and making healthy choices in what you eat, because you're eating a lot more healthy too now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you've totally changed that around where I think, I think like two, three years ago, I was like eating McDonald's and just eating crap for lunch, you know, Oh, because fast food's easy and convenient. And now I'm doing like veggie trays, fruits and things like that. Isn't that kind of what you're doing as well? Yeah, I'm eating a lot more fruits and vegetables and trying to not eat so much junk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that, that stuff is just, you, you realize how bad it actually is for you. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I want to like congratulate you on is you're, you've taken control of your health and your mental health and your physical health. And you're not annoying about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? There are some people that just drive me like crazy. Like they'll every other week on Facebook, they'll post something yeah, or something no, like. I try not to. I, I mean, like I have an accountability day once a month where I try to post and let people know where I'm at, what I'm doing. And then I just don't want to be like in your face about it. Yeah. And I've, I've seen you've done that. And that's really cool because I, I do believe that it you need to share your personal health stories and personal battles because I think it gives people a lot of um, inspiration. Mm -hmm. Like that was one of my inspirations for quitting drinking as I watched a girl that I know through her social media talk about her alcoholism and her health-related problems and getting sober. And I was like, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to do that. But you don't do it in a way that drives me nuts because I also let myself get driven nuts by people's mm -hmm. social media posts. And when I see every day, oh, I'm at the treadmill again, I'm like, oh, my God, are you just like looking for everybody like to give yeah. you a clap, you know? Yeah, 
because um, I that annoys me too. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like just do. I do this for myself and and others around me because when you're healthy mentally and physically, you're also better for the people around you. But I'm not looking for the likes or the thumbs up. I don't know. That kind of drives me nuts. But I would say it was like two or three years ago I did an interview with you, mm-hmm. and you were in a drastically different place. And I I watched that interview prior to us. Uh, coming on and talking about this again. And that's where I really noticed the change. If you see yourself in that interview mm-hmm. and then you see where you're at now, you're like, wow, it's like night and day difference in your skin, your general appearance, and the way you just carry yourself. And in that interview, we talked about a very sensitive subject mm-hmm. that you had to suffer through when <laughs> you got a burp. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Uh, that's that's fine. Just <laughs> let it out. <laughs> We're all humans. My stomach's like drowning. <laughs> <laughs> or you need something to eat. One of the two. Um, but you had uh, I had approached you with this um, project that I was doing, and I was doing interviews with people who um, suffered from depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and things like that. And you had a really interesting take on it because you had suffered something that not a lot of people go through. Um, You had a ex-lover or ex-boyfriend commit suicide. And um, that, I think, because we all go through these things in life, uh, through depression and and ups and downs and things like that, but I can't imagine how that must have made you feel at that moment when that happened because I can only imagine the guilt that I might feel because wasn't it right after your breakup? Can you like explain to us how Uh, that kind of relationship formed and everything before? Well, we, uh, we have known each other since high school and we had, um, kept bumping into each other, you know, all throughout our lives. And he worked with my ex-husband at his job, and I worked with his wife at my job, and we lived down the street from each other, and, you know, our older kids played together. and So I'd known him a long time. We even played uh, softball together for a while, you know. And uh, things just, I mean, like, one day out of the blue, he, he said, do you want to go on a date? This is after, you know, we, of course we were divorced in <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be so much fun because it's a serious topic, but you got the, you got the, uh, My stomach, stomach is really excited to be here. <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, just, I don't know. We, we started out dating as friends and then he just got, he was one of those people that needed to be in a relationship and it got serious pretty quick and he gave me a promise ring. Oh, really? And, uh. And he kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me because he wanted to be married. He wanted to be married yesterday. He wanted to be married last week. He didn't want to wait. And I kept saying, I'm not ready. I didn't know why, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't ready. Yeah, I can I can kind of relate. To, I used to be that way as well. Um, when I was younger, much younger, um, I was not cool with being single. I didn't like it because mm-hmm. I, I was single for a long time until I was about like, 16 17 I never had any girlfriends or anything like that so then 
when I got with my girlfriend in high school, we did like a three year, like serious committed relationship. And then, um, like most 95% of high school couples, we broke it off and broke up. And I quickly did the rebound thing, which you shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. because I was not cool with being single for some reason. So I can relate. I'm not that way anymore. As Mm -hmm. I've aged, I've kind of, I've been okay being, I'm not single now, but when I was single last, I was like, I was okay with it. But back when I was younger, I was, oh, I always needed that person there for me. I felt like almost like my life wasn't complete or something, but someone had to be there. So he quickly jumped into a wanting a very serious relationship with you about how long was that? Um, well, we, we started dating in October and by January he was like, let's get married. Let's get married. Oh, so like three months. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty quick. And, and, uh, I was, I just kept saying, you know, I, I just had gotten out of some serious relationships and I, <laughs> I just wasn't ready. I, and I look back at it now and I think maybe it was my intuition saying, be careful, mm-hmm. you know, take it slow. And uh, so I was just, I just kept saying, you know, we, we have to be on the same page about this. We can't, we're not rushing into this. And he just couldn't, for whatever reason, back down. How old were you guys when you started dating? Okay, it was nine years ago he committed suicide, so 50. 50 years old? Yeah. So that was that was about the time I started uh, getting to know you because we've known each other for what 10 ish years, a yeah, little over ten years. years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you start this relationship with him, this, and it just starts out dating, and he wants to really jump into it serious and get really committed and married to you. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? What's your answer for that? I just kept talking to him and talking to him, and I felt like he wasn't hearing what I had to say because I felt like his what he wanted to him was more important, you know, and sometimes we get like that in relationships where like, you know, it's my way or the highway or, you know, I, this is what I want. So desperately you need to want it too. (laughs) Yeah. And I think people forget a very important fundamental dating and being in a relationship, I think are two separate things. Mm -hmm. Dating is where you're actively dating the individual. You're getting to know them. You're getting to know what you like and don't like about them. And I come from the walk of life of it's okay to date multiple people at the same time. And I think a lot of people don't really like that. They want to swoop you up and kind of have you Mm -hmm. in their control. Like, no, because if you go see anyone else then I'm out or I I could lose you. So I think people jump into relationships way too fast to be committed. (laughs) You got to burp again. (laughs) I apologize in advance. Hey, don't worry about it, man. It's we are all human beings, right? (laughs) So three months go by. And he's he he gave me that promise ring, and he was just like, he was just so gung ho, like this is gonna happen. We need to happen. We take a leap of faith. Just trust me. And for whatever reason, I couldn't. And so this is so this is three months into the dating relationship mm-hmm. where you guys are just kind of filling things out, and you tell him no, right? Well, I mean, I took the promise ring. Okay. I mean, I was fine with that, but I but I was under the impression that meant that we had some time that we would be taking it slow Mm -hmm. and he was not (laughs) he was like i got a ring on it so let's go yeah 
And um, what, so how was that? I mean, so you took the promise ring and he's wanting, do you ever feel like you maybe shouldn't have taken that promise ring? Like, do you feel like you might have let him on a little bit with that? Or well, I mean, I was ready when he gave it to me. I was ready to, to you know, be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't ready to move as fast as he was. Got, yeah. So I don't regret taking it. But I don't think we were. I mean, like, I tried several times to talk to him and get on the same page. Like, okay, I understand that this is important to you. But it's also important to me that we take our time doing this. Yes. Yeah, I see. Uh, so when did, when did you decide that this relationship was moving too fast and what did you do? Well, it was a, probably a couple more months. It had, it was getting to the point where I kept talking to him about it and saying, Hey, we need to take our time. We need to slow down. And he kept not just pushing it and pushing it. Was it was like, he goes, Oh yeah, I understand. And then he'd turn around and pressure me some more. And so we kind of, that kind of made a wedge, a little bit of a wedge between us. Were you guys living together? No. Um, I had a house in Kearns that he moved into. Okay. And he would, um, he would work on the house. And um, eventually the plan was that we would live there together in the house. And so, because um, he had been complaining that his rent was too much at his apartment, and I had the house, and it was empty, and so I, we made a deal that he would move in, and he'd do some things around the house, and <laughs> get it ready for our uh, eventual togetherness, but mm-hmm. it didn't work out that way. Did he have kids or anything? Yes. He does he, have kids. He had an adult child that was m- married and had a... Uh, yeah, he had a child, I think another one on the way when he passed away. And were you guys around the same age? Yeah, we went, to, we were in the same grade in high oh, school. Oh, really? So did you, so, oh yeah, because you were saying you guys grew up together knowing each other, mm-hmm. knowing each other in separate relationships and things like that. So you knew this individual for quite a long time before mm-hmm. you even yeah. started this relationship. But I didn't realize that it, he had a bigger need to to solidify it. Gotcha. So did did it sometime he eventually move into your home with you? Well, he was living in my house, but I was living where I live now. Oh, okay. So he was living in your home in Kearns. Yes. And fixing it up. Yeah. And you were living separate at another living yeah. arrangement. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And then when when did you decide, you know, this relationship, I don't want to go down this road anymore? And what was the straw that broke the camel's back well i talked to him and talked to him until i was blue in the face talking to him about it and so finally i was just like you know i have no other idea what i'm gonna do he's not listening he's not hearing me he's not respecting what i want he he's only focused on what he wants and was that one focus getting that ring on that finger and getting you Kind of in a he he just kept saying you got to take this leap of faith you got to do this with me you know we're gonna be fine don't be scared and, and I kept saying I'm just not ready I you know because you had come out of a marriage of how many years the first one was sixteen years 
Okay, and then you had a second marriage before this relationship? Yeah. And how long was that marriage? That one was eight months. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I can't blame you for not wanting to jump right into another yeah. serious relationship. I mean, people need time to mm-hmm. figure out, because you got to figure out who you are without a person as well, you know? So, so you tell him, I'm not ready for this commitment. Let's just keep moving this slow. Right. He doesn't want to. And eventually you just see that it's not going to work. Yeah. And we had uh, got, we had started getting to the point where we were kind of arguing and bickering and not getting along so much. And he, um, I don't know, he just, we kind of were distancing ourselves from each other. And I just felt like, you know, the relationship wasn't doing what I thought we both needed. So I thought maybe if we step back and take a break, if we, you know, maybe maybe a break, maybe a breakup, just mm-hmm. uh, something to maybe think about this for a minute. Yeah. And uh, he had he'd been he had suffered with depression and he had thought about suicide before a couple of times i guess he had tried and had he had he told you this while you guys were in yeah this and relationship? he and then i met because of i have a young daughter and i told him i said you can't you can't i mean like i understand that you're depressed but you got to promise me that you won't do that if we're together because that would that would do serious harm to my child and it would do serious harm to me mm-hmm and he promised. But when the relationship didn't end up going the way he thought it should, um, that night I had given him a letter that told him basically, you can live in my house for however long you need, but I think we need to not be together. Is there a reason you did it in a letter rather than... Because I, I had talked to him and talked to him till I was blue in the face talking to him, and he didn't hear what I was having to say. So trying another approach. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. This is what it is. And then he posted on Facebook that he um, had lead poisoning. And then he sent a text to all of his relatives and said that his demons had won. Why would he say he had lead poisoning? Was he... Because of a gun. Oh, okay. I see. He's insinuating something that's to come mm-hmm. or he's yeah. like a premonition subliminally on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. And so then he disappeared and I somebody alerted me to his post and I was like, oh no. And I tried to get a hold of him and I couldn't get a hold of him and I went over to the house and he wasn't there. So what was the next step after that, after you, you go to the house and you got to be frantic at this. I am. So I contacted his uh, daughter and his daughter came with his ex-wife to the house and she contacted his sister who was a policeman. She's a very high up police officer. And nobody can reach him. Nobody can get a hold of him. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what he's capable of at this point in time because... They knew that things weren't right between us. I didn't tell them what I had done that day, but they knew something was up. Mm-hmm. Did Did you tell them that you had? I mean, I obviously, t- I you- told them that 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 I 
thought it was time for a break and okay. that I had tried to break up with him. Gotcha. But I didn't tell him that I had written a letter. And so everyone's on alert looking for him. Yeah. And because his sister was a high up ranking policeman, she could get find out where his cell phone was at. Oh, like one of those cell things. What's that? What do they call that? Pinging or location yeah. ping? Yeah, they pinged his, uh, and they found him. And they found him before he did what he did. Um, he drove out here by that Harper excavating that's off U-111. Okay. And they were closed, but he pulled up by the gate. and He was sitting there with his gun and... Uh, they the cops came and it was shortly after <clears throat> there was a police officer that was killed out in sandy and it was a big deal and so the police were hesitant to approach his car mm -hmm. because they thought he might have a gun they didn't know if he would turn the gun on them so they waited and they kept trying to get hold of him and his sister was actually on her way up there from the house in kearns and he, uh, he pulled the trigger, and they didn't move because they thought they didn't know he had done what he had done. They, so he had pulled the trigger as the cops were, like, staged around him yes. in his vehicle. Oh, wow. And they didn't approach him because of what had happened earlier. Uh, it, was, it was, like, in the last couple months before this happened. Was it like, oh, an officer was shot? An officer was and so shot. so they were apprehensive about yes. showing up? so they sent the SWAT team in. Okay. And the SWAT team came, and they pulled the door open and found him. And they tried to rush him to the hospital, and he was gone. Do you know how long it was before they had... Did they make contact with him or anything like that, or they just kind of seen him in his car and hung back? I think they they hung back, but I think they tried to... You know, shout at him or talk to him. Use their, like, yeah. uh, their PA systems. Yeah, I wasn't the there, so I don't know exactly how it played out, but I just know that they were hesitant to approach his car because of this other incident that had happened a few months before. Wow. And, uh, and then his sister um, came back and told us that he was gone. That's how you figured out? That's how we found out that he was gone. How, how did that hit you? Um, like a ton of bricks. I completely, <laughs> I thought it was entirely my fault. And I, it was the worst night of my life. I can only imagine. I cried all night long and, um, I tried, I tried to go to work, but I, because when I'm at work, I don't think about my personal issues as much. So I tried, but I had just cried all night and got not got any sleep, and I realized I wasn't going to be any good at work. Oh, no, not so, at all. So I ended up uh, staying home the next day, and I just, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. Yeah, I mean, because not knowing what you're going through, but trying to think about how I would react to that, I would think that the immense amount of guilt that you felt was probably like dropping one of those big weights on your head or I just or like getting sucker punched in the gut because that guilt has just got to be 
astronomical. Well, yeah, and when his sister came back to my house in Kearns, where we had all congregated, she broke the news to us all at once, and I, I witnessed his, his daughter and his ex-wife. Oh, my God. Go through the emotions that they went through. And um, yeah, I felt guilty. I felt like it was all my fault, entirely my fault. Did the ex-wife, sister, or daughter blame you in that moment? Was there any sort of animosity towards you from them? Um, not in that moment, but uh, wh- I found that when people pass like this, um, there's always somebody that that has to be the blame mm-hmm. for um, what happens. It's not the person's fault who commits suicide. It's whoever's wronged them or whoever's treated them poorly or whoever's broke up with them. Yeah, so so you're experiencing all the guilt and the emotion that's going through your head because you still loved him? I still I still cared very much for him. Gotcha. Um, I, I loved him, but not as much as he... Needed or wanted. Yeah. Or... And uh, just it's it's... It's a really terrible feeling, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah, because after their immediate shock and grief, is that when, was there one of them that kind of turned on you, or did they all collectively kind of turn on you? Or? Not in that moment, um, but before the funeral happened, um, they were all pretty much on the side of that this is your fault. Did you attend the funeral? Yes. That must have been... Talk about that. Like, going to a funeral of a man who you just barely delivered news that you didn't want to be in a relationship with. It. <laughs> I mean, that... That was... Um, that was very hard to go to. Um, I had some friends that met me in the parking lot and just gave me some big hugs. and um, And that helped. And I went through my parents with, with me, and they went through mine with me, and they were great. Um, I didn't know how to explain it to my daughter, so I just said that he had passed away. I didn't want her to have to deal with the How old was your daughter? Stigma. So she's 17 now, so she was 8. 8? Yeah. Does she know the truth now? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, at the time, I was trying to shield her a little bit from it. And and so, I mean, but they had completely excluded me from any of the funeral planning. And I couldn't stand with the family. I couldn't be with the family at this point in time. So they, the viewing, we, they had Carl and his family in the one room. And I was in another room. And people would walk by and say, sorry for your loss, but it wasn't, and it shouldn't have been about me, but I felt like that we had gotten close enough that I could have been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm i fine now. <laughs> did the people who came and gave you their condolences, did that feel sincere, or did it feel like people were just doing it to kind of fill the role of what they because I think some people 
are sincere with their actions and other people are like, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I had a couple people that I'm pretty sure it was very insincere <laughs> because I know the people. But also um, I had some some good friends that were concerned. Got you. Um, he's buried, funeral and all that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the funeral... Do you cut ties with the family, or do you keep in contact with them? I was in contact with um, his his brother, and I were talking uh, a lot um, immediately after. But his kids and his his ex wife and uh, and everybody else kind of just was like, "No, we're not. We're not going to talk to you." Um, so his brother and I were talking, and. I guess I posted, uh, one of my girlfriends was going through a difficult time and I made a post on Facebook and he thought I made it about Carl and it was something like it's better to have loved than lost than never to have loved at all. And it was for, it was meant for my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I was trying to show her support for what she was going through and he just immediately shut down on me and quit talking to me. I think that's a, that's something that happens almost far too often uh, with social media especially is someone will write something and always you get reception from other people who will fit it into them mm-hmm. like I've done that in the past too where you write something and it's like you pissed off at me man I'm like what are you talking about that's not what that meant at all yeah so no longer do I ever post anything that's like uh, meaningful on social media I just post photos and then mm-hmm. content like I don't do the any of the that type stuff because too often I've had it turn out to be more of a headache than I try not to but every once in a while my emotions get the best of me and I'll say something and people I'm pissed off <laughs> usually it's when I'm pissed off when you're pissed. yeah because people do that as well on social media I mean we and it's because it's kind of the social square mm-hmm. and that's where we go to sometimes air for lack of a better term, our dirty laundry or mm-hmm. our frustrations. Um, so he cuts you out as well. What happens with um, all of his things that are at your house? Did they? Well, I, I had to reach out to them and I kept telling them, you know, Hey, um, I don't, I, there's no rush, but like you can't leave all of this stuff here for six months. It needs to be taken care of. Yeah, because that's going to, I and, would assume. And at first I was giving them free reign of the house. I was like, use the key, come anytime you need. And then I kind of was like, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe that's not a great idea. Because if they're mad at me, who knows what they're you know, if they if they're thinking I'm the reason, who knows what they? I mean, like when people are upset, they can do things that you know they wouldn't normally do. So I was finally, and then I got to the point where I was like, "I'll be there when you're ready to come get the stuff. I can help you move it, but um, I'd rather be there when you're there." Yeah, and I can't blame you because people, like you say, do rash things when. They're under stress, duress, anger, all sorts of emotions can manifest in very physical ways. Yeah. And that I, I mean, my house wasn't, it was no, you know, like million dollar house or anything, but it was still my house. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just kind of, I didn't 
I knew that they were mad at me, and I knew that they blamed me, so I didn't know how that would manifest itself. Yeah, and you got to worry about that from everyone with vindictive behavior or vengeance or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. And this was, so he he committed suicide about, what, six months into your guys's? We were actually on, uh, like, it would have been our ninth month together, like a day or two before he... I mean, he committed suicide a day, day or two before. I'm before your ninth month anniversary. Yeah. So almost a year. Did you see any of the... <clears throat> did you see any warning signs with him beforehand about his struggles with depression? Well, he had told me, uh, and I saw him getting depressed, but I didn't because he had made me that promise that he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't do anything. Um, but he had told me that in the summertime he had... He had, he'd go through a depression phase. So I knew it was coming and I saw it coming. And our relationship, like I said, was winding down a little bit. And so I just attributed it to what he told me, that that this is something he went through every summer because his grandfather died when he was a little kid. And it, always this time of year he was depressed. And um, he had just gone through a surgery uh, he had had a hernia removed. Okay. And so he had spent some time down, and he, I just I just attributed it all to that. I didn't really think that what we were going through was the reason he was depressed. Got you. Um, you mentioned something that's kind of um, you brought up with a lot of people that struggle with, I would say, like event depression. Mm-hmm. So he he's telling you that he gets pressed during the summertime. Mm-hmm. Did this event manifest itself to where on a yearly occurrence for you, you would go through those same emotions? Well, yeah, for the first uh, probably four or five years, I would um, make sure that I was aware the day that this happened and I would go and release balloons and try to um, get his family to come join me and, and, and in a celebration of life for him um, for the time that they did have with him. But it, after the first year, they didn't come anymore. So it was just me. <laughs> and uh, I, we went to, I went to a baseball park in Kearns where we used to play softball together and I'd release some balloons there. Do you still do that? No, I do not. I don't do it anymore because people kept saying, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you so concerned about this? (laughs) I mean, unless you go through it, you don't really know how to answer that. Um, It's just, I had a hard time. I really did have a hard time. And like I said, I did end up getting therapy. When did you seek out therapy for this? It, it it was probably a good six or seven years after it happened, but I finally did. And that helped? Did that help quite it a bit? It helped a lot. But also um, I found out some information that he had been, from a friend that he had been actually thinking about it for several days before I gave him the letter. So it wasn't entirely me that he was depressed about. How did this friend know about it? Because 
Carl confided in him, and he told Carl he would take this information to his grave. Oh, got you. And then at the beginning of this year, he reached out to me and said, hey, I got something to tell you. I can't, I can't keep this secret anymore. Was that a little bit liberating for you? Did that make it you feel... It was very... Um, um, I found out that he had also had another relationship while we were together. So, Oh, really? And that uh, actually I wasn't the only one that had broke his heart. And so he was upset because he couldn't be in the relationship with his mistress <laughs> also. And then when I broke up with him, that was just kind of the final... Final dagger. Yeah. Um, so he went through the, his yearly depression. He had this other woman that was rejecting him. And then I guess he felt like I was rejecting him. And so he ended it. And when you figure out, when you figure it out about another person in the, in the fold of this, did that affect you at all? Uh, at first, I was very angry. And that's probably not a good thing to say, but it's true. I was angry because I wasn't aware that was going on. I had no clue. And I had carried this guilt with me for the past however many years. And I just, I was sure it was me. I just knew it was me. And there wasn't anything people would, people say, oh, don't blame yourself. But when you go through it, you that's what you do. You know, I was on board with the other people. I was like, somebody's got to be blamed for this. It might as well be you. Yeah, I think when people say that, because people, people like to think what they would do and then try and project that on yourself. Like, I wouldn't be blaming myself, so why are you blaming yourself? But until you're in that situation, that's almost telling, like telling someone who's anxious about something, don't be anxious, that it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So it's not going to work that way with uh, guilt or anything like that you're you almost have to just go through the motions yourself mm -hmm. um and no one knows how they're going to react to that um i think the way you reacted to it is probably the way almost 90 percent of us would react to that i know i would like to think if i had a significant other that killed themselves i would blame myself over and over and over again and be like what did i do wrong what was it what was it um when you when you went to your therapy sessions for this what was what was the the like definitive moment there that it started to click was there something that the therapist did for you that started to really help you in changing your mindset from being one of blame and guilt to being one of like acceptance and saying okay this wasn't all me well actually the therapy helped a lot but it was the fact that um, when his friend came forward and told me what he told me, that was the most freeing part, actually. And when was this? Was this this year? The beginning of this year, yeah. Wow. Um, because then I realized that all the I've been carrying all the guilt. I was sure it was me 100%. I knew that I had written that letter and that it had upset him and he had gone off. But come to find out he had been thinking about it for a while um he had confided in this friend that he'd been thinking about it his friend tried to talk him out of it 
and um, also the other relationship didn't work out, and so he was feeling down, and I, I mean, he couldn't very well come to me and say, hey, me and my mistress broke up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, so I'm kind of down right now. Maybe you shouldn't break up with me. <laughs> um, it didn't happen that way. It's just, yeah. And and so the timing for everything, I mean, it just all hit at once. And it's so crazy the dynamic with people and how how many uh, things we don't see on the surface with people, like other lives they can mm -hmm. be leading and and doing. And I'm so trusting. I I trust people even when the flags are beating me upside the head. When you're one of the you wear those what's that term rose colored glasses. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you trust to the. I trust everybody until they prove that they can't be trusted and. And uh, sometimes I don't see the signs. And you would think that as old as I am, I would have picked up on that by now. <laughs> did, did this event, because this is a life-changing, life-altering event, did it change anything with that? Or are you still pretty trusting no. of individuals? I mean, I'm still very trusting, but um, I think that's part of the reason why my relationships don't always go the way that I hope they will. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a part of me that holds back now. And I think that I won't let myself get to the point where if someone walks out of my life or if something happens to someone in my life, that it will devastate me like that did. Because in that first few moments when his sister said what she said, that he was gone... I have never felt anything like that. And I don't hope I never do again. Yeah. Now, when I first talked to you about this a uh, few years back, I remember asking you a question. I said, what would you tell him now that if you could, like, what would you say to him? And is there anything, has that kind of changed? Yeah. What would you say now? Um... I would definitely tell him that we need to get some help. We need to um, get some counseling. We need to work through what the pain, work through the pain, figure it out. But on a friend level, right? Not a yeah. not a romantic partnership level. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Like I always think about um, couples who have been friends for a long time and then enter that romantic mm -hmm. relationship. I always think that's like a double-edged sword. Like it can be a beautiful thing or it can go sour really fast. Yeah. And then if it does, usually that friendship crumbles pretty quickly yeah. as well. Um, so I would have, if he had wanted to get help, I would have been there as his friend. But knowing how he was feeling, I don't know if that would have worked would for even him. Help. Because he he so desperately wanted more. Yeah, it sounds like it, and and you're over the the pain of the guilt and everything. Is that kind of in the past and buried for you, or do you still have that? I mean, come up just, every once in a while. I mean, every time the the day rolls around, I I um, of course remember, and I almost always post something on Facebook about 
how needless this this tragedy was because he had three kids and two of them were still in high school he had a new grandbaby on the way that he never got to meet it was due about six weeks after he killed himself so I mean there's so many milestones and precious moments and unwritten destiny that he never got to realize and never not, never got to experience his daughter wasn't able to have her father walk her down the aisle you know he wasn't there when his son got his mission call he wasn't there when his son got married he wasn't there when his son announces him and him and his wife having a baby you know there's there's for me there's always I always have hope mm-hmm. and some days it's harder than others but he couldn't see beyond his need or pain or depression at that point in time to see that there was so much more ahead for him. And that makes me sad. Yeah, that's that's one of the hardest things because I myself, I think we all uh, suffer from, uh, you know, spells of blue and and thoughts that we don't even want in our head like dark thoughts about suicide i think everyone is i don't know a person out there that probably hasn't thought about that at one time or another oh yeah i know i mean i've had my moments where i've thought well you know maybe i'm maybe i'm worth more dead than alive and maybe people in my life would be better off without me but every time i've done gotten to that very dark place um, I see my kids' faces, mm-hmm. and it brings me right back. And like I said, I always try to have hope. Always, I always try to have hope. I ha- I always try to believe that there's going to be the sun will come out tomorrow. You know. Yeah. And uh, so I somehow get myself out of it, but not everybody can. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was going to touch on. Is I think because I I know so many people in this. It irritates me a little bit when they're like, well, suicide is such a uh, selfish act. And I'm like, I can see why they would say that, you know, because, yeah, that person's leaving people behind, letting people down, doing this or that. But also, I don't think anyone understands. Well, no one understands what that person's going through in that time. So to blame it all on the person that commits suicide as well and say, oh, they're just selfish. I think that's something that as a society, we're getting better about understanding and take taking a seat and saying, hey, maybe maybe it wasn't all their fault. And you don't blame it on other people either. Like, I would never say, oh, it's Denise's fault that he killed himself because he, you know, mm-hmm. or any of this. I think it's just some people get to such a dark place that it is so hard to see that sun shine. It is. And um, also his sister, who, like I said, was a cop, told me that I, there's a part of your brain when you're suicidal that's almost like a drug addiction. It's like the laser focused on suicide. Mm-hmm. Like you can't see anything else. That's all you can see. And that's uh, it's... it's she compared it to like a drug, a drug, a, a drug, addic- sorry, drug addiction, drug addiction that, um, that's, that's where your mind is. And they say that it, 
uh, it only takes 10 seconds of that yeah. thought to make it happen or make it not happen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and some people are really good about hiding their feelings. Um, sometimes it's the people like you have those like super depressed people that I'll worry about at times. I'll be like, hey, are you OK? How are you doing? Check in on them. And then I've had people, I haven't had anyone super close to me commit suicide, but I've had, um, for instance, I had a friend of mine who his best friend, who I had partied with this guy before, hung out with this guy before. He had um, two kids and a wife. His Facebook just looked happy as all get out. Every time I seen him, he was smiling and just very outgoing individual never would have hit my radar that this kid I I guess he was mad at that time because when he killed himself he was like 23 24 oh, would geez. do that but I guess that just goes to show it how well it can be hidden well yeah and then depression has many faces it's uh it can be uh you know obvious hmm. you can tell when somebody's moping around that they're something's not right and then there's the the happy people that hide it well, that put on the perfect face for Facebook and that put on the the happy show around other people. But inside there's something that's not right. God, I almost I almost uh, think that the more posts I see from an individual of just happy go getty all the time on Facebook, I'm like, what's really underneath all that that you're that you don't want us to see mm. because I've, I've known so many people like for instance, you'll see those couples that always get together on Facebook and they're mm. just in love. And you know, six months later, I hate that son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that happens with everything. I mean, social media is a place where people will go to be very negative or very positive. But a lot of the time we don't, actually see that person's life yeah because we're only seeing what they choose to show exactly. us exactly yeah it's what they present to the world this is my life look i have this and i have this and, God, and doesn't that, this look great right and you know, aren't, aren't you envious of me because of my all these wonderful things that are happening and going on in my life and yeah it's cool like, I just posted a whole bunch about my daughter's wedding, and it was a wonderful, fabulous time. But that's not all that's going on in my life. But I, I don't post everything. Yeah, and that's why I think it's so important for um, friends and family and individuals to connect with each other in ways that aren't through social media. Yeah, but it's so prevalent now. It's Oh, it's, it's everywhere. It's my daughter, my 17-year-old daughter. That's the only way they know how to communicate. And it, it's almost like it's so prevalent, like you're saying, that it's it connects us enough to where we don't reach out for the deeper meaning in people because mm -hmm. we're like, oh, I know what's going on with them. They're fine. Mm -hmm. But I'm always like, I always tell my friends, don't text me. Don't message me. Don't Facebook message me. Call me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to do with people. I try and call them to see how they're doing rather than a text message or a Facebook message or a drop a line on their Facebook feed. It's like, Call that individual because when you're in that one-on-one -on -one conversation where you actually have to use words and dialogue and things of that nature, you can really start to tell what's going on with mm -hmm. that person. Yeah, you can pick up on some of the nuances of the uh, 
I'm not so great. Yeah, right. Maybe, or I'm doing fabulous right now. You know. I know. I've I've gotten this habit of around work, especially because everyone asks, "How you doing around work?" Yeah. I don't lie anymore. I refuse. So instead of being like, I'm doing great, like everyone always says, like today, I said, today sucks. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, I'm just telling you the truth. It's a pretty rough day. Nothing's really bad, man, but I'm sick of the heat. <laughs> uh, yesterday was a bad day for me in the morning. And I got I got so lost on that route that I had to run and I couldn't find these kids' houses, and then when I got to their houses, their parents had already taken them. This is like, ah. the and, and I got back to work, and somebody said hi to me, and I was like, <laughs> the frustration is real. <laughs> oh god. Um, so you're doing much better now with this, and do you yeah. you attribute a lot of? The, so obviously, therapy's helped with that. Yes, taking better care of yourself is. Yeah. Oh, and I think um, when you were talking about that earlier, another thing that I think helps a lot is because I do exercise every day now. Awesome. It it has gotten to the point where it's a stress reliever. You know, it's um, it helps me deal with the day to day stress, but it also helps me deal with the long term stress. Oh, know? it does. I I couldn't agree more i used to be a huge health nut like i would go to the gym all the time in my early 20s my mid-20s i kind of slipped a little bit and was hit or miss and then when COVID hit i went totally down the dark rabbit hole of yeah i'm not going to the gym i sat home all weekend drinking booze and eating gross fast food and i got up to like i want to say like 195 pounds i i look at myself in some old pictures or videos and i'm like that's I look like that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, even those pictures you took of my family in December. You? I, I look at that picture and I go, whoa. Yeah. Like, I don't really even look like that anymore. Drastically different. And it's amazing once, because I think there's a moment that it your body gets, like, reprogrammed. Like, it takes a little bit. But once that key fits in and that lock is open, mm -hmm. your body's just like, ah, I'm healthy again. It, but physically, it, it's good, and it, but also I think it helps emotionally and mentally too. Yeah, I mean, because like I said, I work out so that I can release the stress and release the frustrations and work through the stuff in my head. Like when I'm on my treadmill, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the day's events or what I should have said or could have said or wish hadn't been said, mm -hmm. and. And I work through things in my mind while I'm working out. So it helps me twice. But, hey, th that's good because I, I do, I kind of do the same thing, but I almost try to get into a headspace, especially when I'm doing like intense cardio to where all I can hear is my music. And I just like hyper focus to where I try and take the world out. Cause that's something I do a little too much with, with my anxiety is I need to learn to just let life be. And I'm always trying to like think of exactly what you said, how to fix what did I do here? What did yeah. I do there? So I try and I try and almost not do that on the treadmill. So it's kind of yeah. different way we each approach it, but it still works yeah. well, for both of us. For me, and I've always been this way, I've been, been like hypercritical of myself. And I'm always trying to think now, how would how would how could I have better handled that situation? How could I have better read that situation? How could I have been nicer? How could I have been 
a better person in this moment, you know, because I screw up a lot <laughs> and I catch myself. But you, do you do that anymore with the event we were just talking about or is that kind of settled? Or do you ever um, want, once in a while go back to, could I have done it differently? I, at first, when I first went through it, every single day, it was like, how could I, I mean, like, but I tried. The thing is, is I know I tried. I spoke my words. He wasn't hearing my words. So I thought, maybe if I write this down, it will make more sense. And I just had to speak my truth. I couldn't hold it in anymore. And I was getting to the point where I was really anxious and really frustrated with the situation because he wasn't hearing the words I had to say. So my only option I could think of was to write it down. I'll just write it down. I'll get it out there. I'll say, you know, I care about you, but this isn't going the way I think it needs to be going. And I've tried to tell you and you're not hearing me. Something you just said really stands out to me. And you just said, I had to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. And I think too many of us in this current environment don't do that. Mm -hmm. I think too many of us um, sit there and take whatever other people have to say and we never communicate back or speak up for our own selves because we're afraid of the reprisal or or what's going to happen. Yes. Um, I have noticed that a lot of people uh, will say that, like, I'm ornerier now. And I, I'm not, though. I'm actually a you're, lot. You're more truthful. You're yes. more honest with your how you're feeling. And, um, I mean, sometimes it doesn't come across as as diplomatic <laughs> as you used to be. But... I believe that if you're if you're being true to yourself and if you're being honest with yourself, that's all that really matters. It doesn't matter how people perceive what you're saying yeah. or how you're saying it. It matters that you're speaking your truth. And, it, and I'm trying to be that way more and more often. The other thing is you're not responsible for how they perceive it. Exactly. If they perceive something that's offensive and you didn't mean it in an offensive way, way you're not responsible for the way they perceive it you can re-explain it i don't mean this in an offensive way this is what i mean yeah and sometimes people don't see that and sometimes people do and the other thing i try to do a lot lately with like my mental health and looking at the world is i try to listen more <laughs> like listening to your your stomach growl <laughs> but i i actually try because in the past I would not let people finish their sentences. Mm -hmm. If it was came to like a disagreement, like I was with one of our coworkers on a walk, because that's another thing I will not do. I do not sit on my bus. I go for, I, if I can walk, I walk. Mm -hmm. I'm getting exercise as much as I can. So we're on a walk and we're talking and there's a subject we're on that I don't believe the way she believes. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to tell myself it's not your responsibility to change your mind. And it's not your responsibility to overreact to something. It's your responsibility to share your impression mm -hmm. and why you feel that way, but not get heated about it. So I try to let people, because in the past I'd be like, 
you're you're wrong, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I've now, seen you do that. <laughs> yeah, and now I try to listen more. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I've I've gotten more to the point where, like, if you if you say something that that offends me, or if somebody else in our office says something that offends me, or I don't think that's right, I don't get defensive about it anymore. It's gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I see where you're coming from. I hear you. Yeah, I think it's very... That doesn't mean I agree with you, but I, I respect your right to have your opinion on it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has a right to their voice. And my stomach <laughs> and really wants stomach, to talk. Your stomach has a right. It's like, stop this. <laughs> I want to speak. <laughs> I'm going to growl at you. Um. Yeah, I think you're right in all of that. And, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing this very emotionally devastating story with us, because I think there are other people out there that have gone through the same thing that you've went through. And it's important for people to hear how you handled it and to know they're not alone. No, you're not people. You're not. (laughs) If you want, you can call me. (laughs) Yeah. If you need to talk, I just, it's a very, very difficult thing to be on the other side of, and not only for me, but for his family and, and anybody that knew him. Yeah. He was a good guy. He was, a he was, and he was one of those people that everybody liked. And the fact that he didn't seem to like himself was I think was part of the catalyst that drove him to where he went but you're not alone um you're not and that <laughs> your stomach my agrees. stomach agrees with me um you you um you have s- some unwritten destiny in your life and maybe um when you get to that dark dark place realize that there's people that that want to see your your brighter day, your sunnier day after your darkness. And it can come. I'm a true believer that no matter what situation you find yourself in in the darkest days, that there's always a path out of it to something else. I have to believe that. Exactly. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your story with us. And I want to, again, congratulate you for Thanks. taking control of your health and taking care of yourself because you're looking much happier, much healthier. And I can tell your mental space is much better than it was even six, seven months ago. Yeah. And, and when we did that last interview, I was just a sobbing blubbering mess. And this time I was able to tell you what happened without crying all over the place. Yeah. You got through it. So thank you very much, Denise. And Mm -hmm. we will talk at you all later on the next one. See ya.